Hello, I am Donna Freeman, the founder of Yoga in My School, and this is the Yoga in My School podcast. I appreciate you coming and having a listen. Thank you for your likes, your shares, your comments, and your ratings. It truly is a blessing as it helps others to find us. The purpose of the Yoga in My School podcast is to empower you to share yoga and mindfulness with youth. Through the archives and this episode in particular, I know that you will receive inspiration, knowledge, and tools to help you do so. We also are big fans of building community, and we love finding people who are doing amazing things in the kids' yoga community worldwide. So if you know of someone, or maybe you are someone, who are doing something incredible and you'd like to share it, feel free to reach out. You can email me, Donna, at yoganmyschool.com with ideas for upcoming episodes. Appreciate you listening. Have a wonderful day, and enjoy this episode. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, my name is Donna Freeman, and I am the founder of Yoga in My School, and I'm here today to chat a little bit about yoga and eating disorders. Yeah, this is a something that is coming to light more and more in the yoga community. And there are pros and cons and negatives and positives in this area. And I'm hoping that we will be able to delve into some of these things, especially as it is I Love Your Body Month and there is a whole raft of people who are working to make sure that there is a little bit more body love and body acceptance in for all, but especially within the yoga community. It seems to be a community which uh, in the media tends to be portrayed as for the uber-fit, super healthy, uh, very thin and flexible and strong uh, people out there. And so a lot of people don't even come to yoga because of that perception. So this is a concern within the community. It's a concern within for teachers because uh, yoga can truly help us all as we come on our pathway in life. So hopefully we will be having a guest come on the line soon, but in before they do, we're going to talk a little bit about what eating disorders are and uh, some of the things that you would want to be looking for as a professional, as someone working potentially with teens and with young adults. So there are uh, eating disorders are unhealthy relationships with food that interfere in many areas of a person's life. It could be maybe a preoccupation with food and weight, uh, maybe a hypercritical self-image, or using food as a coping mechanism uh, when challenges come up in life. And eating disorders affect males and females of all age groups. However, they are most common about teens and young adults and especially among teen and young adult females. So um, three principal eating disorders that we can find. Um, One is anorexia nervosa. This is where there is an intense fear of gaining weight or being fat. uh, And some things that people with anorexia may do, they may restrict uh, calories severely. They may only eat certain foods, and there is often frequent skipping of meals. So that that restriction of calories and only eating certain foods can definitely happen. Another uh, eating disorder that you will find is bulimia, 
And someone with bulimia may indulge in binge eating and then eliminate the food and calories by making themselves vomit. Okay, this is also very common with bulimia is excessive exercise, using laxatives or even diuretics to help purge calories. And the third type of binge eating or um, of eating disorders is a binge eating disorder. And this is a disorder where you're eating large quantities of food very rapidly. And when you're binge eating, uh, a person feels that they cannot stop or control how much or what they're eating. Okay. So these are three principal eating disorders that we can find. Now, anorexia is the third most common, common chronic illness among teenagers. Uh, over one-half of teenage girls and uh, one-third of teenage boys uh, are known to use unhealthy weight control behaviors. And, um, so they may not have anorexia, but they use unhealthy weight control behaviors. So, for example, that could be skipping a meal, fasting, smoking cigarettes to curb appetite, uh, vomiting, or taking laxatives. So all these, this is really a concern uh, as we see more and more youth become very body conscious and uh, not always in a positive way. Uh, there's a statistic that says, uh, from a study that was done, and 81, in it, it says 81% of 10-year-olds, 10-year-olds are afraid of being fat. That is huge. So it means the majority of children out there are afraid of being overweight, and that will skew how they perceive their body as they grow and develop and mature through puberty um, and have weight gain and often in places on their body where it, they, you know, get curves as they become females or guys, you know, everybody's their bodies changes so drastically in those teenage years and uh, often that can be perceived as becoming fat. Another area that is of main concern uh, with teens or teen athletes and uh, eating disorders among teen athletes, especially elite athletes, is double that of among control groups. And so um, especially teens who are in uh, sports that are judged, uh, gymnastics, diving, um, those type of things where they're judged on their personal performance and how their body looks doing the sport instead of the score at the end of the game. Um, there are uh, increased issues of um, eating disorders there. And I believe we have our guest here with us today. Chelsea Roth is the founder of Eat, Breathe, Thrive, and she's going to help us explore the relationship between yoga and eating disorders. Good morning, Chelsea. Hi, Donna. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. Um, I totally thought you were calling me. So, <laughs> so uh, my my British uh, director of communications was calling me. She's like, um, have you called in? <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm sitting here waiting for Donna to call me. Um, but I'm really glad you're here. And thank you for having me. <laughs> Well, I've just been going through kind of some of the stats and exactly what is a di eating disorder, anorexia, bulimia, binge eating, those type of things. So kind of a little bit of background for people. And now we're kind of ready to delve into your story of kind of how did you come to yoga and how has it helped you? 
Oh, goodness. <laughs> Such a long story. Um, but I'll try to give you, like, the Reader's Digest version. Um, I struggled with anorexia, and I'm glad you've given people kind of an overview of the spectrum of eating disorders because it, it really is a spectrum, and I really try to I think more about it in terms of disordered eating negative body image because it's a massive spectrum from overeating to undereating. Um, and I think, you know, I think the stat is that 80% of women feel dissatisfied with their bodies. So um, I certainly struggled with that, and most women and men I know struggle with that at some level um, on some of the spectrum. But um, I had a very severe eating disorder when I was young. Um, eating disorders are often rooted in a combination of genetics and trauma, um, and, um, um, and I developed anorexia probably around the age of 11 or 12, right as puberty was hitting. Um, eating disorders often develop either right around the time of puberty or right when um, people are going to college for the first time, just sort of like a, you know, it's a major disruption. Um, and if you don't have the internal resources and the coping skills to deal with it, um, then sometimes we end up acting out and anything from an eating disorder to substance abuse or, or what have you. Um, so I developed an eating disorder around 11, um, and, you know, it seemed to me at the time to be a really good way of coping with um, a lot of the scary things that were going on in my life from, you know, having a, a mother who was severely alcoholic um, to dealing with the changes in my body and um, bullying at school and all kinds of stuff. Um, and it just seemed like, you know, restricting my food and um, I guess having like a highly controlled way of sort of dealing with my body and getting the validation I got from um, society and the kids at school and everything just seemed like a really good way of coping with what was going on. Um, it wasn't. <laughs> and around the age of 15, um, I actually suffered um, a minor stroke. Um, as a result of just being severely underweight and undernourished, um, I was, you know, less than less than half the weight I am now, and I'm at a pretty healthy weight. So it was severe, like under 60 pounds. Um, I ended up in the hospital for 18 months, actually. And it's again, it's a long story, but uh, you know, you generally people who have who need to have inpatient treatments for eating disorders don't get more than about 30 days of treatment because of yes. um, the way our, our health insur our healthcare system is structured. Insurance companies won't pay for more than that. Um, and I was, you know, miraculously lucky um, because my I was actually taken out of um, the custody of my mom um, because she was, you know, not a fit parent. Guardianship was given to the doctors and nurses at the hospital. So I was on wow. Medicaid, and they couldn't take me out of the hospital because those were my legal guardians. Um, so I, I was tremendously lucky, and I got a lot of really good treatment at the hospital. Um, but, you know, I mean, one of – I think I was talking to someone the other day, and they gave me this analogy, and I thought it was so poignant and, and spot on. Um, you know, one of the challenges with the medical system is is that – eating disorder treatment is actually really ineffective. <laughs> it's necessary, yeah, but it's really ineffective. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's Go the ahead. research that I've been doing, too, is that very few people, first of all, are diagnosed, and then very few people get any sort of treatment that is effective. True, true. And, and you know, I mean, basically treatment providers are, this is an extremely difficult disorder to treat. Um, we don't know exactly how, what, what works, um, and we're, you know, 
unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of research funding there, but there are a lot of great researchers doing work on it. But for me, you know, I came out of treatment after 18 months of it, not quite fully weight restored. I wasn't quite at a healthy weight yet, but I was close. Um, and I was in this new body, basically. You know, I was twice the size I had been when I got into the hospital, so I was grappling with that. But I also had a piece of paper that told me when and how much to eat. And I didn't mm. know what hunger felt like or fullness felt like. And treatment had no idea how to, you know, like my, my treatment providers had no idea how to teach that to me. Um, you know, they would, they would say, well, at 9 o'clock you should eat 600 calories, but they didn't know how to say, you know, this is how to feel hunger sensations in your belly and to know and, and to learn what your body is actually needing. And that's where yoga came in for me. Um, I had a therapist strongly recommend I go to yoga and I was, oh God, I was belligerent and totally not open to it. I was like, yoga, it's like <laughs> new agey and gentle. It's not me. I don't want to do that. I don't want to get in touch with my body. I just want to survive. Like I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm doing a good job. I'm, I'm finally, like, you know, surviving, and it's not going to get any better. Let's just resign to that. And she was like, no, I really think it would help you. And um, she kept pushing, and I was, I kept pushing back and being like, stop recommending this. And then, like, three sessions later, I came in, and I was like, hey, I've got an idea. And she's like, what's that? And I was like, I think I'm going to try yoga. And she was like, I don't know where you got that idea. <laughs> Such a typical teenager, hey? <laughs> I, I was, totally. Yeah, are you Canadian? Yes. Oh, I love it. Um, sweet. I really, I have so many Canadian friends. Yes. Uh, it is a typical teenager and I was a stubborn one. Um, but anyway, I get to yoga and I, I, it was just incredible. You know, it didn't happen all at once, but slowly, you know, through these breathing meditations, I started to actually feel hunger in my body again. I tell people the story often that I was in a supine twist and this yoga teacher that I've been developing a lot of trust with and he had really kind of taken me under her wing was, she was across the room and I was in this twist and my stomach rumbled like really loudly, like blah, 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 blah. And she looked over and she goes, oh, somebody's hungry. And I was like, oh my God, that's, that's what, what that, feels like? That's what that <laughs> feels like. <laughs> yeah. So it was a combination of that. It was also, you know, a lot of people with eating disorders, um, underlying that is anxiety and depression. And so I developed a lot of skills for regulating my emotions and self-soothing and all of that stuff. And I developed a community and I started to appreciate my body for more than what it looked like, but, you know, how it could carry me, carry me through a practice and bring me to a really calm and happy peace of mind. So that's, mm-hmm. that's my writer's digest version. I hope that. No, that's wonderful because you kind of lead right into the next part, which is, you know, how can yoga help teens, specifically teens and young, uh, young adults, because that's kind of where this really is the crux of uh, eating disorders. How can yoga be a tool for these people to, if they're experiencing any of the symptoms of eating disorders, if they think they might have one, and how can it help them if they're, you know, extreme or just, you know, kind of dabbling with it? Like, where, what are some of the tools that yoga brings to this population? Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, that does lead right into it. And, and I agree with you. I think, you know, I'm a lot more, well, not more interested, but I'm very interested in prevention. And, you know, again, eating disorders and disordered eating exist on a spectrum. So oftentimes there's a point at which teens are struggling with disordered eating maybe or just bad body image. And I think yoga can be tremendously helpful um, 
one of the things we talk about in my program a lot is appreciating the body for functionality rather than form. So, for instance, I woke up this morning and I went on a walk, not because I wanted to lose weight, not because I wanted to burn calories, not because I wanted to get, you know, like make my legs muscly or anything like that. I went on a walk because going on a walk releases a few endorphins, spending time in nature puts me into a better mood state. And I come back and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm more present for a conversation I'm going to have with, with Donna. <laughs> um, and I, I feel better. So I think yoga teaches that. It, it teaches you, you know, come out of the, come, it's not about the input. Come out of the, you know, go into a pose because it opens your heart or it makes your body feel good. But if it doesn't feel good, then don't be focused on the form. It's about functionality. It's about optimizing your life. Um, secondary, I think it also, not secondary, but second, it, um, it also teaches, like I was saying, really amazing tools for self-regulation, um, the emotional regulation. I, I, I think a lot of us don't learn that early on, and teens especially, especially when they're going through puberty, have so many big emotions coming up, um, you know, fear, anxiety, depression, and to have a practice that can teach you specific tools like yoga nidra for calming anxiety or dealing with insomnia or, um, you know, a, a strong vinyasa class for, you know, cultivating a little bit more energy and um, strength in your life. I think it teaches really amazing tools for emotional regulation. Um, and then lastly, I think, uh, I think that yoga in the way it's practiced in, um, at least in the modern world, has a really strong community. And so for someone like me who is coming out of foster care or within a family that was really dysfunctional, coming to a practice where I could move and breathe with people and connect with them afterwards and feel supported by a community that was really focused on cultivating health and supporting one another was extremely helpful. And I think for teens, you know, in the sort of like chaos of growing up and moving through youth, um, the yoga community in in the United States, in the world right now is such a, a right space for them to, to grow into, um, I don't know, a healthful way of being. I don't know if those are the right words I want to use, but something along mm-hmm. those lines. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really surrounding yourself with people who are like-minded, who are supportive, and who are striving to become their best. Yes. Yes. However... <laughs> As you mentioned in your recent Yoga Journal article entitled The Truth About Yoga and Eating Disorders, there is also a dark side to all of these benefits. Um, and so there are you know, some flags that we need to be aware of to the detriments of a yoga practice for someone with eating disorders. And can you shed some light on that? Yeah, um... And I, I, I would say that it's not even so much the detriments of the yoga practice itself, but more mm-hmm. the dynamics yeah. within the yoga community. Um, it, just to fill anyone in who hasn't read that article, um, in it I, I, I kind of tell the story of a young woman named Kelly Parisi, who at 21 years old um, died of um, heart complications related to an eating disorder. She actually died in a yoga pose. She was in her room practicing, and her mom walked in and found her in Sukhdevirasana, which is it's tragic. And just I just can't even like I. It took me so long to like wrap my mind around what had happened to this young woman and how it had happened. And as I was uncovering her story, it slowly comes out that yoga, um, or the the way she was practicing yoga and the yoga, you know, 
the dynamics in the yoga world she was participating in had played a big part. Um, she was on a detox when she died. She was, she'd been drinking just, you know, kale juice for days. Um, and no one around her knew she had an eating disorder. That's one of the first dynamics in the yoga community I would point to is detoxes that are really just diets in disguise. Um, mm-hmm. I think that I think that oftentimes, you know, unin- I, I don't think with any malintention. I think yoga people, you know, go on, you know, a, a you know so-called detox or cleanse, and and they're really undernourishing their body. Um, there's something called the basal metabolic rate, which is the number of calories or, or food energy that you need to take into your body in order to carry out basic organ functions. So keep your heart pumping, keep oxygen moving through your lungs. And when you drop below that, you're putting your body at severe risk. So drinking five vegetable juices every day will put you below your BMR significantly, yeah. your basal metabolic rate. And they're, they're really propagated in the yoga community. I don't think they know how dangerous it is for a teen to come in and to see, you know, all right, you know, like summer juice cleanse, blah, 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 blah. And they go on it, especially for someone who's predisposed to an eating disorder and has the genetic factors at play, that can trigger an eating disorder. There's research that shows that people who go on reduced calorie diets are six times more likely to develop an eating disorder. And people who go on severe reduced calorie diets, like a juice cleanse, are 18 times more likely to develop an eating disorder. That's so significant. There, there was also a study done by the FDA that found 60 deaths among liquid dieters, 60. And it was all due to basically when you go on a juice cleanse, you disrupt the electrical currents of the heart because you've, you've mm-hmm. thrown off your electrolytes. Yep. Um, and that, that can stop your heart as it did in the case of Kelly. Um, so I think that's a really major dynamic in the yoga community that needs to be looked at. Like any studio that, that's you know, encouraging and marketing a reduced calorie cleanse like that is putting every man, woman, and child that walks through their doors at risk. And I, it's a controversial claim to make, but I, I just, I can't like, I can't hide from it. It's true. Um, that's not to say that cleanses don't have value, um, but they need to be nourishing cleanses, cleanses that at least put you above BMR. Um, mm-hmm. And then well, I think and the other there point may be I, certain age restrictions as well, and oh, right, yeah. Um, when we've got these teens yeah. often self-medicating, unbeknownst to others, um, right? It's, yes, that's such a good it's something point. that we need to definitely be aware of and be watching for. Yes, and I, I think cleanses are value valuable as a behavioral reset. You know, like you've been eating too many chips and popcorn and all that kind of stuff, and you just set an intention over the next week or two weeks to, to nourish yourself with healthy foods. I think that's really valuable. I'm not knocking cleanses in general. It's just the undernourishing ones that worry me. Um, the other dynamic I'd point to, and there's uh, there's several, but one of them is, you know, the, the um, promotion of this sort of yoga body ideal. Um, yeah, that's one that I wanted to get into. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I came out of teaching. I remember I was in a class um, and <laughs> And the teacher said, well, bikini season is right around the corner. We're going to do 30 high-to-low boat poses. And oh here I was, you know, oh, terrible. And I was, I was in this place of trying to recover from an eating disorder, trying to learn to appreciate my body for how it looked and accept my body as it was. And I had my yoga teacher saying, you know, mm-hmm. all right, well, we want to get your abs fit for bikini season. It's ridiculous. I was like, that's the last yeah. thing I need to hear in a yoga class. <laughs> well, really, when yoga should be about loving your body, no matter what body it is, yeah. that isn't a helpful cue 
to be giving your no. students. No. I mean, I can give you tons of examples, but there's there's a big, you know, yoga has messed with capitalism in the West. And so, <laughs> you know, it's true. But in order, in order for these companies, in order for these companies to stay afloat, they have to sell you the idea that you're not, because mm-hmm. in order to create need in their audience, they have to sell you this idea that, oh, well, if you, if you just do this, you know, 30-day yoga program, or you just come to my yoga class, you just do this cleanse, you'll finally be okay. You'll finally be worthy and lovable. And it, it sucks. I mean, I'm not knocking capitalism in general, but for me, my yoga practice is about being in my body, being in where I am right now, and just having acceptance. And generally, when I'm in that place, if I, if I am overweight or I am underweight, coming from that place of stillness and acceptance actually puts me in a mind state to get exactly to where I need to be. Because internally, my body already knows, you know, you need to be healthy, and it, it, just, it just sort of wakes up that inner voice. But it, that inner voice can easily in the yoga community get shrouded and masked in all of the voices outside of us, the capitalistic, you know, selling points of, well, you know, if you just go to this yoga conference, then you'll finally be okay and love it. Um, the, <laughs> truth, the truth is, and the truth that yoga teaches us, that we already are. Um, yes. And, Exactly. Doing those things needs to come from a place of acceptance and, and inner wisdom. So. Fabulous. Yeah. So can you give kind of three tips, three tips to yoga instructors on things that they can do, especially in regards to these teens, these young adults that are discovering yoga, that are exploring it maybe for the first time or are coming into their class. Um, what can we do to, you know, ward off, support, um, and and really be present and be aware of what is going on. Yes, I can. Can I, um, can I, so the first thing that comes to mind when you ask this question is have a conversation um, and not look the other way. Can I give you like a five, a quick five-step process for having a conversation with someone you're, you're concerned about? That would be great. Quickly, super quickly. Okay, so... So in answering your question, what I would recommend is don't look the other way. Let them know they're seen and supported. And that's a difficult conversation to have. You've got somebody coming to your class that you think, or that you're seeing around town, or there's a friend of yours that you think has, is struggling with an eating disorder, either because they seem severely underweight or they seem, uh, you've heard them, you know, acting out in behaviors in the bathroom or something like that. Here's what I would say. One, find a private and confidential space to have the, to have the conversation with the person. Um, if you do this right after a yoga class and people are floating around and you walk up and you're like, you know what, I think you're anorexic. I think not going to go well. <laughs> Private, confidential space, make a safe space. Two, ask permission to speak openly with a person. May I speak openly with you? That does two things. One, it puts the control and the agency in their hands. You know, maybe it's not a good time for them to have a sensitive conversation. Using the words, may I speak openly with you, will alert them that it's a sensitive conversation, and it gives them a way out if they need to. Um, And it also gives them a sense that, like, this conversation is about them, and if they want to walk away at any time, they can. May I speak openly with you? It just creates a sense of safety. Third, um, give observations without judgment. So saying, you look so anorexic, is not an observation, and it's certainly riddled in judgment. You never know for sure, um, and you can't make assumptions. I mean, there are plenty of people are underweight or are throwing up in the bathroom that don't have an eating disorder. Maybe they're going mm-hmm. through chemo. Like, there's so many things. 
give observations. I've noticed you've lost a lot of weight, and I'm I'm concerned about you. Followed by an open-ended question: How you know? How are you doing? Um, observations without judgment. What are you seeing that makes you concerned? And give that to them without any judgment, without any shame. Um, fourth, come armed with resources. Don't don't come to the conversation without um, the names of a few therapists in your area that treat eating disorders, or the name or the the um, some support groups or some treatment centers. Um, the worst thing you can do is get them to open up in this conversation and then then say like, yeah, I'm really struggling. And you go, okay, well, cool. I just wanted to let you know that I've noticed. <laughs> Please, I'm here for you. Come armed with resources. I know, and you can't like. Yoga teachers are so well-intentioned, but the fact is if somebody's struggling with a clinical-level eating disorder, treatment isn't completely effective in itself, but yoga is definitely not any better. You've got to have a combination of different modalities, and if they're struggling with a clinical eating disorder, they're going to need professional help. So come armed with resources for professional resources in the area. Um, and if they shut down in the conversation, which may happen, at least you can hand them a few business cards. Maybe they'll think about it or it'll come up later. Um, and then finally, number five is to um, set, uh, set healthy boundaries while offering support. So don't come into the conversation until you know what your own boundaries are. It's not your job to save them. It's not your job to fix them. And maybe all you can offer is, you know, coffee once a month with them to support them. Maybe mm-hmm. it's, you can be a text buddy. Um, and then, you know, like for me, one of the boundaries I often have to set as a yoga teacher is, I have people come into my programs and they're clearly severely underweight and I have to have this conversation with them and say, look, I teach a a, a movement-based asana practice and I can't keep you safe in my class. I would love for you to come and close your eyes and go through it in your own mind. But as your teacher, my first job is to keep you and the other students safe and I can't keep you safe in in a vinyasa class. Um, here's a yin class, a restorative class you can go to. You can come and meditate my class. I want to support you with boundaries while offering support, but I've got to set this boundary for you and for me and for the other students. And it's a hard boundary to set, um, but it's, it's important. I don't want someone passing out in my class or having a fatal heart complication. Um, and I think exactly. it's really important that, that teachers be courageous and brave and set those boundaries. Perfect. Well, Chelsea, I thank you so much for your insight, for sharing your story so openly, and for giving these tips to yoga instructors and anyone who is reaching out to teens or young adults who are suffering and uh, working with um, eating disorders. Uh, If you are interested in more information about Chelsea Ross and the work that she's doing, be sure to visit. They're on uh, Facebook. They're on Twitter and all those kind of lovely social media things, and they do great work. Also, we'd like to encourage you for the, uh, there's an upcoming teen yoga online webinar training coming up this month, October 23rd. If you're interested in learning more about how to reach teens through yoga, definitely um, check out Kids Yoga Academy and the live webinars. Shari Veltesblad is teaching that, and she is fabulous. Thank you so much for being here, Chelsea. Thank you, Donna. I so appreciate it. And I, I have to tell you, I've been listening to your podcast probably since the beginning of my yoga experience. So it's great to, to make it full circle, and I'm really, really, you know, just so impressed with what you do. So thanks for everything. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great day. Bye.